Hey hurdlers, Emily Abadi here. Welcome to another episode of Hurdle, fresh off the plane from Vancouver. I went to Canada to run a Lululemon Seaweeds half marathon over the weekend and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but that was my first time crossing the border. Anyway, it was absolutely gorgeous up there, but also admittedly a huge mental hurdle for me. Earlier this year, I ran the Boston Marathon in a complete and total downpour. So of course, why not keep the trend alive for my first race since Boston? It, uh, it definitely rained there the entire time and I just kept telling myself all of the mantras like, you got this, you're strong, you're capable, you can do it. I ended up running a half marathon PR pace, so pretty happy about Quick shout out to the sponsor of this episode, Athletic Greens. I was writing a story about morning workout warriors for GQ a few months back, and a guy named Jordan told me about this awesome whole food greens powder supplement that's equal to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables that he swears by called Athletic Greens. From the first time I tried it, just shaken up with some water, I was hooked. They're offering a special deal to Hurdle listeners for 20 free travel packs, a $99 value with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to claim it. No code necessary. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Today, I sit down with Ruth Zuckerman, co-founder and creative director of Flywheel Sports. After her 1996 divorce, the former dancer and aerobics instructor felt lost. She worked through the difficult time with the help of indoor cycling classes at the old Reebok gym on the Upper West Side, and it was there that she transitioned from writer to instructor. In today's episode, the mogul talks about a client that approached her with an idea that eventually turned into SoulCycle, how that crazy ride brought her to Flywheel, and the hard decisions she had to make along the way. Ruth's actually releasing her book this week. It's called Riding High, How I Kissed Soul Cycle Goodbye, Co-Founded Flywheel, and Built the Life I Always Wanted. Definitely go check that out. If you're in the NYC area, also come check out the Vital Proteins pop-up shop this Wednesday night, September 26th. I will be there hosting a Feed Your Beauty panel with a few lovely ladies kicking off at 6.30 p.m. at 119 Spring Street. We'll be talking all the things health, fitness, beauty, you name it, having a good time. As always, connect with the podcast on social at Hurdle Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and keep those screen grabs coming. I'm loving this. While you're listening to the episode today, post a snapshot to your Instagram story with a takeaway you learned. Tag me, tag the pod, and I'll repost it from the Hurdle account. Also, sign up for the newsletter at hurdle.us. Shoot me an email if you want to say hi or share a hurdle moment. You know the drill. Emily at hurdle.us. And that's it. Let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting here with Ruth Zuckerman. She is the co-founder and creative director of Flywheel. Ruth, thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me. This is, uh, it's kind of crazy. Actually, we were just talking that uh, you've only done two other podcasts before. That is correct. So I feel lucky. I'm a newbie. (laughs) A podcast (laughs) newbie. I feel lucky that you're in the studio. I also um, find it funny because 
yes, you are a mogul, but the podcast I was listening to this morning referred to you that way over and over and over again. <laughs> it was a little much. It, you know what it is? <laughs> I, I guess what I have to ask to that is, does that ever like feel kind of crazy to you? It feels insane to me. Yeah. I never, ever would have expected to be described that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now that you are... Now that I am, I'm not going to lie, it feels pretty good. <laughs> and I'm really trying hard to own it. I love that. I love that. Okay. So I uh, there's so much ground that we can cover today. I have been for the past year a spin instructor myself and actually taught my last class yesterday, which is insane. And the funniest part, which we can both uh, relate on on this, is when we spoke on the phone yesterday, my voice was in a serious decline. I woke up this morning. Thankfully, it's back. I uh, I think the most beautiful thing uh, about you is that you still teach. Yes. So talk to me about why it is, uh, and we'll obviously get into the background of Flywheel, but what is it about teaching that you stuck with? Because I'm sure that you travel a lot. Obviously, there's so much to do with the business. There is. And uh, you're spot on because a lot of people really do question that and they marvel at the fact that I'm still teaching. And my response to that is always the same, which is I can't imagine not teaching. That's how this whole thing started was with me as an instructor. And it's such a vital and important part of my day, every day, pretty much. And um, when I discovered that very early on, my whole motivation to get to where I got to today was just purely because I wanted to share this amazing experience with as many people as possible. And so, as you're asking, every day when I get on the bike, I work through whatever stresses I'm experiencing that day, that week, and figure out ways to kind of talk about it in the class. And sure enough, I am tapping into a lot of similar stresses that other people are experiencing as well. So it kind of becomes this joint effort, uh, a community feeling where we're all getting through it together. And it's it gets me through my day and makes my day better. It makes me uh, so happy to hear that. And I can definitely relate. I think I'm a little anxious about how I, aside from, you know, my typical workout and running, I was able to really talk through things a lot more often. And it's something that if you don't maybe go see a therapist or something, people don't realize that all of these class goers, they walk into the studio and you're providing them a service, but it's so mutually beneficial. So mutually beneficial. And um, by the way, I very much need my daily spin class and therapy. I do both. (laughs) Um, And I'm a huge proponent of therapy. But I will tell you briefly that I have heard comments from therapists who literally say to me that their their practice is suffering because people have found the spin class and they don't go anymore. So (laughs) always kind of funny. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) So let's rewind a little bit because Flywheel was founded in 2010. Yes. So it's been eight years now. Correct. Uh, Where were you in 2010? So I was diligently working on this company with my my two co-founders, ex-partners, and I I was at SoulCycle through summer of 2009. And that is when I met Jay and David, who I started Flywheel with, and they introduced this idea to me about bringing technology to the ride and to the experience. And both of them came from a private equity background. Neither knew how to teach a spin class, but 
what they did know was that this was a good idea. And when they introduced it to me, I thought, wow, this is really an opportunity to take the indoor cycling world to the next level. And for someone who might not uh, be aware, Ruth actually was one of the original co-founders of SoulCycle as well. So you've been in this spin space for a minute. Yes. (laughs) Quite a while. And obviously SoulCycle and Flywheel, they both have completely different offerings. They do. So talk to me a little bit about what someone can expect if they were to walk into a Flywheel class. From the moment they walk in the door, incredible customer service. They will feel very taken care of. It's an efficient sign-in process with a little laptop set up for everybody. And your shoes are waiting for you in your cubbyhole. And you are taken into the studio. If you are newer to the experience, we have someone there ready to set you up and show you how to set up the seat and and the handlebars, etc., so that you will get the most efficient safe workout. And then the experience begins, the lights go off, and uh, there's a spot on the instructor, and you are embarking on a 45-minute or hour journey. Okay. And what is it about the flywheel experience that makes flywheel so unique? So what is it about that class experience that someone would be getting when they walk in? First of all, the studio is set up as a stadium. So each row is a raised level. So back in the day when, um, or not back in the day, in many other studios where they don't have stadium seating, you aren't necessarily on the best bike because you might not be able to see the instructor really well. Uh, We realized in the very beginning flywheel that we wanted a stadium format so that not only the rider has the best view of the instructor, but the instructor also has the best view of the rider and can see that everyone's working out safely. That was really important to us. Um, Beyond that, again, we get to the metrics. We get to this little computer, which is affixed on every bike. And it finally allows the rider to be accountable, to know exactly where her or his resistance should be, how fast they should be going. And then at the end of the ride, you are left with a total number. It's a points tally about your energy expenditure. And it gives you a mark so that Every time you come in, you might want to get that number a little higher and you're finally able to be competitive with yourself. And I feel that when you have an opportunity to be competitive with yourself, that's how we improve. That's how we up our game. And it's really been effective. Totally. It's funny you mentioned this idea of the stadium seating. I can't tell you, I I went to a a standard spin class Mm -hmm. at Uh, gym the other day and it wasn't boutique fitness by any means. And I was sitting in the class and I realized that being on that level playing field with everybody else, I felt like I wasn't trying nearly as hard. It's so true. It's so different. Yes. You're much more connected with the instructor when you can really see them. And I mean, on this competition note, there's so much research about the benefits of competition and working out and accountability. Yes. You you push harder, you work harder when you're going at it with a friend or someone you know. And I think that you hit the nail on the head really trying to bring that into the studio atmosphere. Thank you. I do too. And I'll tell you, one of the most validating things that I have found in my experience since we started Flywheel is when I, and I hear this often, people literally 
go to their doctors with various issues, knee issues, you know, issues from running where the impact has been too much. And so many doctors are now advising their patients to specifically go to Flywheel. And for me, that is just so validating in terms of the safety, the efficiency of our workout. And because of that, we get to have a ridership from, you know, people in their 20s to people in their mid 70s. And I love that. Yeah, you could have these ideas to start the spin studio and both with Flywheel and SoulCycle. But where were you before all of this began? Give me, let's really go back. That's what I want to <laughs> How do. far back do you want to go, Emily? As far back as you want to go. <laughs> um, I'm happy to do that. I started out as a dancer. I started taking dance classes when I was eight years old and I was immediately hooked uh, on it and really took classes two to three times a week through my high school years, through my college years. It really was uh, an escape for me. I grew up in a household with a mom who was pretty tough. And um, I think I really needed this escape. And I also got very into music, the whole music world. I grew up in a household with music playing all the time. And obviously through my dance experience and dance classes, I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of music. And it really was an important part of my life and still is. Through college, I graduated college, I moved to New York City, decided I'm going to continue my path, my passion, and become a professional dancer. Uh, well, not that easy. And especially <laughs> if you choose to, to live in New York, where I really wanted to be. So I started going to auditions and I did that for a couple of years and the rejection and the getting close, but then not making it uh, just became a lot for me. I also needed to start making a living. I wasn't making any money. I was. I had various part-time jobs, which obviously weren't really fulfilling. Where were you living? I was living on the Upper West Side. Okay. Uh, and it, it was so different then. Wow. It was <laughs> 1981. And uh, boy, has it changed up there. But I lived in a sixth floor walk-up on Columbus Avenue and 74th. You know, it's funny you say that. <laughs> I feel like at one point or another, like the walk up above a floor three is a true sign that you're working to make it. In <laughs> Don't you think? 100%. I appreciate that. So, yes, that's where I lived. And uh, I had to give up dancing. And that was a huge hurdle for me. Uh, it was a disappointment. And I was I was lost. I mean, what am I going to do now? I've given this up. I've been directing myself toward this goal since age eight. So, uh I then came upon a small aerobic studio on 72nd Street on the Upper West Side. And I thought, all right, well, let me start taking some classes there because I had to still do something physical and I wasn't dancing anymore. Uh, within a very short time, the owner of the studio said, you know, you should really be teaching here. It was kind of a dance slash aerobics class. And I thought, oh, well, that could be fun because I'll be moving and doing what I like to do. And so I took the job. And that's what really started me in boutique fitness. That was my first exposure. And it was this great place. It was this tiny hole in the wall. And we had every celebrity you can imagine. And on the it, Upper West Side. On the Upper West Side. Uh, oh, my God. From... James Taylor to Carly Simon to Kevin Bacon to uh, Diane Lane, uh, they all came. That's kind of crazy that you can now say that you've danced with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> I think so. Or James Taylor, for that <laughs> matter. Um, so that's where that started. And that led me to step classes. And that led me to a time where I decided to get married. And I was 26 years old. Clearly, you know, it wasn't killing it and making a lot of money. And 
based on my self-esteem level, quite frankly, at the time, I thought, well, this is the perfect remedy. I'll get married. The person I married uh, was someone who was very driven and I knew would do well financially and would take care of me. And that was the direction in which I went. And that was 1984. A few years later, I had rather six years later, I had twin girls. Before I knew it, started therapy because my dad was dying and I didn't know how I was going to quite deal with that. And what came out very early on in therapy was that I was really unhappy in my marriage, something I really wasn't even dealing with. Um, but therapy uncovered it. Long story longer, I ended up getting divorced. And when I was going through this very traumatic period, I, again, hadn't been working for a while, and I belonged to the Reebok Club on the Upper West Side. People throw out the Reebok Club right? all of the time in this room. It seems to like be the it, genesis for a lot of people. I That's so like interesting. It, it used to be the thing. It was the thing, and it was this gorgeous, full-service, six-floor gym, had every amenity you could imagine, and including spin classes. And I used to walk by the spin room, and it would be dark, and there'd be a lot of people in there, you know, spinning those wheels. And I was very intrigued. I was intimidated. And it took me a little while to convince myself to get in there. But I did. And I went in there one day, took a class. And Emily, from the first class, I was hooked. And what I noticed right away was this wasn't just an, a, an exercise class. It was an experience. Not only was it an experience, uh, it allowed me literally to get through this very traumatic period in my life because I saw that there was this mind-body component together, working together, and um, it became a very cathartic experience for me. So that's really how I got introduced to spinning. And I had this amazing inspirational instructor who I loved. And two years in of taking classes every day, he announced he was leaving. He was moving to Florida. And I was instantly devastated. And I looked at my reaction. I thought, this is crazy, Ruth. It's an exercise class. You know, he's an instructor. What's the big deal? But it wasn't just that, obviously. It became like a crutch for you. It did. And, you know, a form of therapy. And uh, I thought, what am I, what am I going to do now? I didn't, I wasn't crazy about the other instructors. And so my decision was, I'm just going to have to start teaching myself. And I told them I wanted to audition, which I did. And within three minutes, they said, you're hired. And that started my career as a spin instructor. Can we talk about how difficult it is to become a spin instructor? Just, I will say this, is that I, uh, when I became a spin instructor, was already a certified trainer. I knew about the body, about weights, about all the things that one would, I thought, need to know to get on mm -hmm. a spin bike. Um, but it's so much bigger than knowing how to set somebody up and you have to be able to command the room. And then of course you need to make the playlist. And then of course, like flywheel and, and the place I was teaching at Swerve both use a lot of technology and it's like, Oh my God, it's before, before you know it, it's like, I remember walking out of that studio after practicing for two, three hours a day and wondering if I was ever going to be able to do it. <laughs> I completely understand that. Yeah. And I tell all spin instructors that so much of the game of being successful at it is experience. So sometimes it just takes time to feel comfortable. And I remember telling people that I think it took me at least a year before I could get up there and not be incredibly nervous. 
I like, I, I actually right? can really appreciate that. And it makes me think a lot. I mean, I, I taught for exactly a year and then um, I taught my last class yesterday. And it's so crazy to think about where I am now versus where I was then and how much I've grown and, and, and we have grown, you know, as a studio. And, and it's just, uh, it's so rewarding again going back into that mutually beneficial experience like you and and i'm sure after a year's time you know there were people that looked at you like you looked at your favorite instructor that was on their way to to florida i hope so (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure okay so you're teaching now so i started teaching and i was also teaching some classes out in the hamptons eastern long island and by teaching in both places obviously building a following and I really started, I really used those five years at Reebok to kind of hone my method and how I thought a spin class should feel and look like. I started noticing that music was, as you know, such an integral part of the success of the ride. And initially, when we all started spinning, we tended to use kind of techno, you know, music without lyrics and great, you know, driving beat and that kind of music. But I was noticing that people were really enjoying music that they knew, music that tapped into an experience, um, music that they knew the words to, lyrical music. And so I really started curating my playlists with that in mind. And then I started noticing that the lines for my classes were getting longer and longer. And so I, I knew I was kind of onto something with that. I also noticed that People who came to spin classes only came to spin classes. You know, here we were in this beautiful gym that offered so many different kinds of genres of exercise, but it didn't matter. All they used was the spin room. So that really indicated to me that there would be an opportunity for a dedicated boutique spin business where that's all we offered. Do you think that's still the case now that people spin and only spin? I think it's changed and I think that a lot of them do try other, you know, genres of exercise and certainly there's so much offered in the boutique space now. Um, So no question that has changed. But at the same time, a lot of them are still predominantly going to spin class because, again, they get something from the mental component, I feel, more than any other genre of exercise. Definitely. Okay. So you see that there's room in the market for a boutique fitness space. Correct. That's just been. Exactly. And I had a really close friend who took my class all the time and she was very addicted to spinning. She had just moved here from LA and uh, she and I used to literally sit and fantasize about opening our own studio. Neither one of us had the capital for it. And uh, so we would just continue to dream. And separately one day, another woman who took my class frequently approached me. Uh, It was in the fall of 2000. And she came up to me and she said, Ruth, I love your class. It's amazing. I love the whole experience. I want to open a spin studio in New York City. I want it to be all about your method, the way you teach. You know, I have no idea how to teach a spin class. I want you to be the face of the business. I will fund it. And what do you think? And I said, I'm in. I mean, I don't even know if I hesitated. I It's like someone walking up oh my to you God. with like a pair of diamond earrings and they're like, these will be great on them? you. Do you want them? <laughs> exactly. It was a dream come true. And I literally was all over it. And from that moment, she and I started planning. And, you know, we met in 
coffee shops and we wrote notes on napkins and talked about our ideas and what we envisioned. And um, and through our conversations, it dawned on me, well, what am I going to do about my other friend who I talk, you know, we, we've been planning and we wanted to open our own spin studio and I'm, I'm a very loyal person. And so I approached Elizabeth, who was the person uh, who initially approached me. And I said, you know, I have this friend and I told her the story and I said, she and I talk about, have been talking about doing this for quite a while. I think she'd be a great addition to the partnership. She has a lot of great connections with uh, actors because she was a talent agent in LA. She has great, um, a great eye for design. She would be great at marketing. And she said, bring her in, let's meet her. And I did. I introduced the two of them and they hit it off. And that was really the start of SoulCycle. We started at, we decided to become a partnership, the three of us, and just started digging in. Is the name like super organic? Uh, it was, it was, we, um, we brainstormed a bit and, um, knew that, you know, we wanted to bring some kind of soul into the title because it was such a huge part of the experience and yeah. And we came up with it and we're very happy with it. And obviously the wheel became, you know, ubiquitous and, uh, a great, symbol of what we were doing. Um, and we opened our doors in the spring of 2006. And where was the first studio? Ironically, on 72nd Street, right across the street from my aerobic studio, where it all began. <laughs> where it all started. Yes. Yes. So you started teaching at SoulCycle. I did. And I, oof, in the beginning, I taught pretty much every class. It was absolutely exhausting. But it didn't matter. I was so excited about what we were doing. And I, no matter how exhausted I was, I approached every class as if it was my first of the day, as if the room was full when, quite frankly, in the beginning, there might have been eight people in the room, but it didn't matter. I really didn't know how much of my following I would bring over from Reebok just because, again, this was another hole in the wall and it was a room full of bikes. We had 33 bikes. We slapped a mirror up in the front and a photo of a road on the back wall. We put in a desk, we bought at Ikea and we called it a business. It didn't really matter. Eventually, I would say I brought about 80% of my following from Reebok over, which was incredible. Can you remember how much a spin class cost at this time? Good question. Oh my God. I feel like it might have been $25. How much today is a single flywheel ride? 40 Wow. Different prices. And that's, I mean, that's just a, a, you know, a testament to the crazy growth of boutique fitness. Yes. I mean, it's definitely a luxury. For sure. And I also think that some of the intimidation factor, aside from the cost from getting in, is that oftentimes what you see when you walk through the doors, it's like everyone's got these fancy workout outfits and they look some kind of way. You actually, uh, you told Business Insider in 2015, we have created a very kind of supportive and encouraging community of people at Flywheel where it's not about who's prettier or who has more jewelry or who has the better workout outfit. Do you think when, when SoulCycle started, it was even about that yet? Or do you no, think that's like I a don't. wave that we're riding No, no, right no. Now? It was not like that in the beginning. It turned into that. Um, and yes, uh, you know, when we started Flywheel, obviously I learned so much from my Soul Cycle experience and there were a lot of amazing things about Soul Cycle. And there were also things that I personally felt could be improved upon. And what you just touched on 
was really important to me. I wanted to make sure that we created a safe space and a space where people felt comfortable. And that's one of the reasons why we dimmed the lights so that no one felt self-conscious, no matter what you looked like, what your outfit was like, or what your weight was. You know, we wanted everyone to feel comfortable. So how long did you teach at SoulCycle? Uh, I was at SoulCycle until the summer of 2009. Okay. And then what uh, kind of made you start to think that there was there was room for something else? There was room for another... Uh, truthfully, I, my partners at Flywheel are the ones that came up with the tech. I re, I have to credit them for it. I did not think of that myself and they found me and obviously needed me. They, they were not creative and they needed that creative person who could put their technology idea to use. And when they told me about it, at first I was a little, um, skeptical because I thought, well, I don't want to take away from the mindfulness of the ride. I don't want this to become front and center. Um, and they said, you know what, just play with it, get on the bike, see what you think. And I, and that's exactly what I did. I got into a spin room by myself with a bike that they had set up for me with the technology attached to it. And I, took myself through a ride using it. And I instantly thought this is going to be something amazing because I could still turn the dial to a certain point to, you know, to an exact number. You know, my resistance is at 25. My speed is at 70. And then once I got it there, which was the place I needed to be, then I could still close my eyes and mm -hmm. go to an amazing place. And for someone who has never been to SoulCycle, yes. there are no metrics like that. There are none. It's It was always about turn your dial to the right half a turn, turn it off a quarter turn. No one ever really knew exactly where they should be. And look, we're all going to want to err on the side of making it a little easier. So as a result, people would be spinning so fast with not enough resistance and weren't getting the results they really wanted. And right. so here was an opportunity where our instructors could really curate the ride and direct the rider to a ride that was effective and efficient. And you could still get that emotional connection. Absolutely. So, okay, you've tried the tech, you're on board, then what happens? Whew, it's a lot. <laughs> we opened. You don't, you don't build an empire overnight. <laughs> we opened our doors in February of 2010. Um, we started working on it, as I said, in the fall of 09. So really, not a lot of time. We spent a few months working on it, working on our on opening and getting our first space together, which was in the Flatiron area. And boy, when I think back, we opened on 21st Street between Fifth and Sixth, and Literally, our only competition was a private training gym that was across the street, and that was it. And when you think about the Flatiron area now and 23rd Street, for example, it is literally the fitness hub of Manhattan. So it's amazing how it went from where we started to, to what it is now. Um, so we were really a pioneer in the area. And I almost feel like that's an understatement. I mean, you can't walk more than like four business fronts before you hit a boxing studio, then you're at a cycling studio, then exactly. you're at Orange Theory. It's like Peloton. Every, everything is there. Absolutely. Peloton's opening a treadmill studio. Yes. Or, yeah. I mean, Peloton has a treadmill studio. Yes. That's downtown. Rumble's opening a treadmill studio. It's exactly. like, there's a studio for everyone. It's everywhere. Studios everywhere. <laughs> so, um, Yes. And so we opened in February. 
we started teaching our classes, you know, in the first few weeks, people started trickling in. And it was exciting because, again, a lot of people in that area had never even done a boutique spin class. So even though I kind of felt like everybody knew about SoulCycle, they really didn't. And downtown, there were a lot of people out there who had never done any kind of spinning. So that was very exciting for us. And if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. so when you opened your first flywheel studio, was there still how many Soul Cycles were there? Really good question. Uh, I believe there were three. And they were all in New York City. There was one in Bridgehampton okay. and one on the Upper West and one on the Upper East. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Very quickly in, we had our first sold out class. It was probably a month in, which was crazy and unexpected, but amazing. And Again, you know, there are advantages and disadvantages to being second in the market. This was a big advantage in that there were a group of people who knew about spinning and then saw what we were doing and thought, oh, my God, this is a whole new thing. And when I had a when I had Sadie Lincoln, the founder of Bar Mm -hmm. 3 here on the podcast, she told me that they went in knowing immediately that they were going to create a franchise model. They knew they wanted a lot of studios. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just going to be a one-off in Portland. So when you started Flywheel, did you know off the bat that you were going to have multiple studios, a lot of studios? Did you think about franchising? Where was your head at with that? We definitely knew that we were going to be about expansion, never franchising. We wanted to be company-owned. Um And basically what happened was we started doing well very quickly. And so we decided very early on to ride that wave as quickly as possible and really capitalize on it. And so that being said, we opened our second studio uh, literally in March the following month. Wow. I know. And I'll always remember it because we opened it on the Upper West Side on my birthday. So I considered it one of the best birthday presents I could have ever received. We actually opened our second studio within the JCC. So that was a new model for us. It wasn't, you know, a dedicated only space. And it worked really well and people loved it. And we were a little nervous about it, but it was a little smaller and it had an intimate feel to it and people absolutely loved it. So that was our second studio a month later. And then obviously it kept going from there. The rest is history. And, you know, people often ask, how did we choose our locations? And the answer is, they also came very organically. We opened in Boca in Florida very early on, simply because one of our riders lived in Boca and in New York and approached us and said, you know, I really feel Boca would be a great market for you. And we thought, okay, let's go check out Boca. And we did. We flew down there, the three of us, and we opened in Boca. So a lot of it was uh, done that way. I feel like an important question to ask is obviously opening in Boca, that means the studio is in Florida. It's not in New York City. Did you feel any kind of way of letting go a little bit of that control? Because at least when you're opening studio after studio and they're all here, it's like, okay, I can I can pop by. I can check in. I can see what's going on. Yes, we were very uh, mindful of that feeling coming up. And as a result, we really kept tabs and we really made frequent trips to all of our locations and then really started farming out our talented instructors and giving them more responsibilities and sending them to different studios in different regions to check on quality control. That became an important part of the business.
taking a quick break from today's episode to give the sponsor Athletic Greens a little bit of love. Let's be real. Living in New York City can be super hectic, which is why rituals are pretty important to my sanity. Next to my morning coffee, Athletic Greens has become a staple part of my AM routine. I just shake it with about 10 ounces of water and it's so ideal for a few reasons. First things first, the taste is awesome. It is nothing like I've tasted before coming from a girl who hasn't always been big on green drinks. Plus, it's equal to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, so I feel like no matter what happened the night before, I'm starting my day off on the right foot. Also, it has essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, superfoods, you name it. They are offering a special deal to Hurdle listeners for 20 free travel packs. That's a $99 value with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to claim it. No code necessary. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Let's get back to it. I'm sitting here with Ruth Zuckerman. Something I find really interesting, especially in this culture we live in now where like 18-year-olds have like mega businesses and they have 8 billion followers. Yes. Maybe not billion, but 8 billion followers on Instagram. (laughs) It's something I think about a lot as I'm trying to figure out what my next move is. Like SoulCycle, then Flywheel, like this all happened 10, 10, 15 years ago. You weren't 30 years old. That's right. Did you... I'm, I stutter because I just think about how overwhelmed I feel sometimes. And I have like this whole runway and I'm, did you feel like you had a whole runway ahead of you? Did you, when it started to happen, you were like, this isn't for me right now. Like, how could I be doing this at this point? You know what, Emily, I never really thought about my age and I had obviously found this incredible passion after I let go of dancing with spinning and I never ever thought of stopping or looking at my age. I I had to keep going because it was something that really drove me and I couldn't imagine not doing it. And yes, I opened Flywheel in my early 50s. And I think that the important message here is that it's part of life. We constantly are reinventing ourselves, right? And um, I think it's something we should expect, especially as women, you know, and as women are getting more and more powerful in the workspace, we can never underestimate ourselves. And we certainly doubt ourselves a lot. I think it's part of being a woman, but um, I'm hoping that I'm an inspiration for other women and can be a good example of uh, the fact that we can reinvent ourselves. And I think the best proof of that for me was really when I got divorced and I was a fish out of water. I never paid a bill in our marriage. My husband at the time was in charge of everything. And I allowed that. I mean, that was okay for me. But then suddenly I'm out of the marriage and I have to fend for myself. And when I think back to that time and then to where I am now, I'm really pretty proud of myself. That's awesome. I always think, and obviously it's not all about the money. That's definitely not. We're talking about all this emotional connection. It's bigger than that. But I always think about what would happen if I just stumbled into being mega successful. If you could do any, you had the day off tomorrow, you could do anything, maybe with your girls, maybe Mm -hmm. not. Where do you go if money's not an option? Bergdorf's. (laughs) Barney's. I'm expecting expecting like (laughs) Bermuda. (laughs) 
Maybe well, maybe Hawaii. You're no, like, uh, okay. To the south of Central Park. Okay, well then let me let me re-answer that. I would I say that. Italy, but I would have to go to Bergdorf and Barney's first to get my wardrobe. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I took a trip to Italy earlier this year, and I uh, I told myself that in my dream life, every other year, I'll go back for right? at least 10 days. That's you can't goal. go wrong. That's the goal. Okay. So, I mean, now, how many studios does this flywheel have? 41. 41. And we just literally opened this week in Denver. Oh, wow. Yes. Congratulations. And I will, I have to get down there. I haven't even seen it yet. So. Something we haven't uh, brought up, though, is that flywheel is bigger than just the bike. When, um... When Flywheel started, it was just a spin studio. And to my knowledge, you had some extra space in that first studio. We did. And so that is how Flybar mm-hmm. came to be. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Flybar is um, and how that all works out? Sure. We rent, obviously leased this space on 21st Street. We had this extra room and we really, in the very beginning, we weren't even... 100% sure how we were going to utilize it. And through trial and error, we ended up at Fly Bar, but we had yoga classes initially. They didn't quite take off. And um, and then we were connected with a woman actually from Florida who moved up to New York and had, an ex- had experience in teaching bar classes. And we met with her and sat down and thought, okay, what do we want to do in this space? And we love the idea of a bar method class because it was a great complement to the cardiovascular workout you get in a cycling class. And um, the thing that we thought also uh, would be integral to this bar method class and consistent with what we did in our flywheel class was to make music a really important component. We had found that in a lot of the bar method classes that we had seen at the time, music seemed to always be background and not that important. And again, coming from my background where music was so important to the experience, we wanted the bar method class to be choreographed to music, just like a spin class is. So that was a really big part of the success, I feel, of the bar method class. And uh, as I said, this particular woman kind of launched it for us. Uh, Eventually she left. And then one of the instructors, Caroliata. We are cool, me and Kara. I've worked together. I've worked with her so many times. Oh, I love that you know Kara. I do. I um, I When I was the fitness editor at Self, uh-huh. I shot with Kara so many wow. times. I've used her as an expert in stories like probably the last time, maybe two months ago. Okay, so you already know. She's a wonder woman. She's a wonder woman. And um, Kara was merely an instructor and uh, we, knew, we saw incredible talent and potential in her and she eventually took over the, the entire program and has made it such a success and she has such a devout following of people and many of them only go to Flybar. They don't even go to Flywheel and swear by her and her team of instructors. I will say that there are few workouts that really make me feel like I just am... (laughs) I can't do it. I feel I go into a fly bar class and by like the 12th minute, I'm like, oh my God, there's 30 more minutes of this. By the way, join the club. Yeah. I can't even do it. I I, I marvel at all these people that and do it. And all of these women, especially, I feel like um, I would argue that bar is an extremely popular pre-wedding situation. All the women are like, I'm going to go to bar. I'm going to get really toned Definitely. biceps. It's gonna, my butt's going to look great. And I walk in there and they are just like cruising. And I'm like, maybe if I like got married, I would have a reason <laughs> a reason to sit here and like feel so confident in my abilities. Okay. So fly bar, fly wheel. Yes. But it's bigger than that. It is. Because now John in Tennessee 
can also take a flywheel class. That's last right. year, you launched the flywheel. We did last home. fall. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about uh, why you got into that space and uh, how someone would go about, you know, getting a bike in their own home. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's called Fly Anywhere because it's literally allowing flywheel to be anywhere. And we got into it because we really wanted to let people have access to our great flywheel product uh, and actually fly bar product uh, in places where we don't have actual studios. And uh, the other reason why we wanted to do it is because we feel that we have such a talented instructor team and uh, such great content. And we haven't seen that anywhere on uh, an at-home bike. Uh, The caliber of our our instructors is really bar none. And um, that's really what we wanted to bring to everyone. And it's been doing great. And uh, People are buying it and buying into it and loving the fact that they can have other genres on the tablet as well as the flywheel class and, you know, compete with everyone all over the place. And yeah, we're really excited about it. So how much does the Fly Anywhere bike cost? The Anywhere bike is $16.99 with a subscription rate of $39 a month. Okay. So, I mean, if you think about it, you're paying some people, I mean gym prices these days are insane, but you could be paying up to $200 a month to go to a gym. Exactly. Uh, and obviously you have to front the cost for the bike at first, but I think it's important to note, and you, you, you mentioned this briefly, that you get streaming content with the bike as well. You do. Okay. So what does that look like? So in terms of the classes? Yeah. Like what can you taught, do besides spin? Uh, we are actually working on all different kinds of genres right now. And actually we mentioned Kara before and she is leading that mission. Um, there will be bar method classes and power classes and uh, high intensity training classes and their the amount of classes are just increasing as we speak. So There's it's a, a work in progress. There's there will lot. be a lot that will be offered. Yes. Like all of us. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like all of us. Okay. So what uh, I would love to do now and what I tend to do at this part of the podcast is kind of go for some takeaways. Okay. So now, you know, it's been quite some time since this flywheel machine has started. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice that you've been given in your career? Let me just say, I think one of the most important ways to succeed in a business and what I've learned through my experience at Flywheel is to treat your employees really well, to really value them, to let them make mistakes and let them learn from their mistakes as we all learn from our mistakes, um, and to treat them as well as you treat your customers. I think that that's been an important lesson for me to play out. And it is definitely a reason why Flywheel has been so successful. We've always focused on a high-touch customer service and then growing this employee team that really felt like family. And for me, since I come to the business from the creative end, I've always led with my heart. And I think, again, I'm going to speak to women here. In this day and age, you know, we're almost taught to taught how to stand up to men in the workplace and how to be powerful and strong. And I think what gets lost sometimes is that sometimes we can actually draw upon qualities that have been attributed as feminine qualities, whether it's leading from your heart, whether it's nurturing your employees, treating them with kindness. I think that that goes a really long way as well. 
Okay. So treating your employees with kindness. Yes. I feel like you're offering everyone this advice, but what advice has been offered to you, Ruth? One of the hurdles that I had to experience in my soul cycle days was not having the best legal protection. And so there were some difficulties that arose because of that. Um, I grew up in a household where my father was a physician and my mother was a psychotherapist. I was never exposed to business. I was never exposed to lawyers. So um, I really wasn't conditioned to know some of those things. And I learned that the hard way. Yeah. So I think when someone's going into any business, you start with having a good lawyer and, and being protected, especially when you're working with partners. It's interesting. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like there's a big barrier to entry for entrepreneurs because they just don't know. I think so, too. And it's like it's like I have this idea, for instance, I mean, I had the idea for this podcast for a year and it was finally when I was like, okay, it's okay that you don't know everything that it started. Exactly. Because I was so hard on myself that what it's not going to be perfect. Who am I going to talk to? Like, is this idea really what I want it to be? So many things. Right. And that's at the end of the day, I can sit down in this recording studio with this microphone and you and we can make some great content and it doesn't need to be that complicated. Exactly. I think actually that's a great point. And I think as we have watched fitness businesses grow, you know, whether it's SoulCycle or Flywheel or many of the others, people tend to think it's more complicated than it is. And the simpler you approach it, I feel like the more successful you'll be. Something that um, a guest on the podcast, Gunnar Peterson, he's a trainer. Yes, in, I've uh, met Gunnar. He's great. We were speaking last week and, and he said to me, the one thing he will say about starting your own business is that you do have to think about the things that you would want if you were the client. So yes, like if you have a great personal training background and you can offer this great service, that's awesome. But where are they going to park? Do they have towels for their face? Do they need water? Like little things like that, that we were talking kind of more specifically about opening a CrossFit gym. A lot of them are so bare bones and they just throw a bunch of equipment into the room. Mm -hmm. But it's like, there are things you do need to think about. And again, that can be so overwhelming. Absolutely. And Gunner's 100% right. And, you know, as we discussed before, I first came to spinning as a customer, as a rider. And that really helped me to know what the customer would want. Looking back when you started instructing, what was one thing that you wish you could have like, you were like, I know that we should be doing it this way. We should be making this change. And and do you feel like there's a, a really good platform now with the way that you work at Flywheel to, to have an open dialogue about how things should be? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that that all happens when you establish a comfort level with your employees and a trust level. And that is something that I did from the get-go. And that's what allowed me to procure this amazing team of employees who uh, trust me and I trust them and and I can impart all of this onto them. Outside of being on the bike, how do you unwind, relax? What do you do for fun? I take a lot of baths. Yeah. I get massage. Um, I... What do I do for fun? I vacation. I travel. I love to do that. Um, I love to go to the movies and get lost and not think about work. <laughs> I think it's a really important part of the week. I love to go to museums. I love New York City and I really utilize it and uh, take advantage of all the culture. Where are your girls now? 
They both live in New York. Ah. Very close to mom, which is good. <laughs> which is good. Yes. Do, do they spin? Of course. <laughs> All the time. Of course they yes. spin. You look back on where you were in 2010, and you see this woman who has worked through a lot of the repercussions of going through a divorce, and you have the opportunity to offer her one piece of advice. What is that piece of advice? To look back on moments of strength that you have had, even if it was intermingled with moments of weakness and failure, and own those moments as well, and try not to dwell as much on the fa- on the moments of failure. Dwell on the moments where you succeeded, which will only help build your confidence, trust your gut, and move forward in a positive way. I, I love asking people this when they come into the studio and you said failure. So now we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of your favorite failures uh, from building this business? I'm going to have to go back to, I hate to say naivete, but maybe it is. Uh, when I started out in my first business at SoulCycle and not anticipating um, some of the unfortunate experiences that happened there. I wish I had known how to prevent them, and I didn't. And it literally was one of those times where I, I had to go through it in order to learn how to prevent that kind of failure in the future. Someone who wants to start their own business, whether or not it's fitness-related, uh, they come to you and they feel lost. They're like, I have this idea, but, but, and all the excuses start flowing. What, just no matter what the business is, what's like one of your best tips for young entrepreneurs? Just to make sure that what they want to start in, you know, what kind of business they want to start is something they're passionate about. If they're passionate about it, they're going to be so energized and enthusiastic and driven uh, to to get it out there. And if they don't feel that way and if their motivation is money or something like that, I just feel like it's not going to have legs. And I know it's not a surefire formula, but I have found in my experience that when you are really passionate about something, you don't care that you're working 24-7, which you have to in the beginning of a business because you're loving it so much. And I really feel that leads to success. It's so funny. I uh, I tell this story all the time, but it, it just really resonated with me. I was working out with a friend of mine a year or two ago, and we were laying on the ground, like exhausted after we had finished. And he looks at me and he says, you really love what you do. And I was like, yeah, you don't? And he's like, no. And I asked him, so do you make a lot of money? And he said, nope. And I was like, so why are you doing it? Good question. Why? Yeah. Life is too short. Too short. You got to love what you do. You do. Okay. What I would love to know, and we'll we'll close here. Okay. Spin instructors Mm -hmm. all have certain mantras or I would say like spiels that they kind of love to go back to within their classes. I could definitely reflect on some things that I like to talk about for me something that a guest of mine, Amy Purdy, touched on a few weeks back, that you can be whoever you want to be whenever you want to be it. Mm -hmm. So, Ruth, (laughs) tell me a little bit about some of your go-to spiels. 
I would love to. I think actually you just hit one of them, hit that nail on the head, which is, yes, when you are in that room as an instructor, you can direct the riders and tell them that in this 45 minutes, let's practice being whoever you really want to be. And let's tap into a wish um, that you want to fulfill. And we're going to turn the resistance up right now. And we're going to climb a hill, so to speak. And I want you to think about one particular challenge that's confronting you this week. And I want you to use this hill and use this extra resistance and plow through it in the same way you would when you're off the bike outside of this room, in your office, in your home, wherever you are. That's a big one for me. Wow. (laughs) I am like so ready to take on this Friday. And it works and people get motivated and realize that as they're climbing this hill and building physical strength, they're also building mental strength as well. Ruth, I feel so fortunate that we had the opportunity to sit down. Thanks so much for coming in today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It was a pleasure. Please take a moment to leave a quick review of the podcast by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. Ruth, where do we find you? Where do we find Flywheel online? You can find me on Instagram, Ruth underscore Flywheel. Uh, you can f- find Flywheel on on their website. Uh, it's flywheelsports.com. And you can get on the website, look at the schedule, see what classes you want to try, what instructors you want to try. The Anywhere Bike information is on the website. So if you're interested in that, you'll get it all there as well. Perfect. I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.